All right, if you have a Bible with you, we are going to be uh, in two texts today that are very close together, Acts chapter 11, 19 through 30, as well as Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The connection will make sense, I promise you. Um, Let's pray before we begin. Lord, I pray that... uh, I pray that as we are in your word, that it just, it transforms us. That we, as we look closely, that the Spirit would use this to refine us, to break apart any rocks we've got in our heart, uh, to, to encourage us and excite us about being involved in what you're doing in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. There was once a shoe cobbler by the name of William Carey, lived a couple hundred years ago. You may have heard the name because William Carey was kind of the, the first person in the modern era who said, you know, he was, he was reading his Bible, he was looking in the New Testament and seeing how Christians would take the message of the gospel to people who didn't have opportunity to hear. And, and he, of course, served in India for 41 years. Uh, to great effect, planting churches and doing medical works there. But it was interesting, when he was first contemplating this, because this was a new idea, it's like, it's like no, no one had really done this before to his knowledge, he went to his church with this idea of, hey, we just started, it, like England started a trade relationship with India, there's ships going, there's an opportunity here, let's go share the gospel, which to any... Christian nowadays would be like, yeah, that seems like a good, solid thing to do. So he presented his ideas at a church meeting they were having at his church. He's like, hey, I have an idea. Let's get on one of these ships and and go share the gospel with people so they can know Jesus too. His pastor got up after he said all this and he said, Young man, sit down. If God would like to convert the heathen, he will do so himself. I don't know about you guys, but when I see the church so unresponsive to the leading of the Spirit that it, that it becomes an obstacle, it troubles me. For many of you guys, you've had bad experiences with the institution of the church. Painful experiences. Experiences that, that made you scratch your head and say, you know, the church sometimes seems so out of step with what the Holy Spirit's doing that it might be more of an obstacle than a conduit to the mission of the Holy Spirit. Is is it worth the trouble? Is it worth all we put into it? Some people understand that structure is kind of the antithesis or opposite of spirit, right? That, That once you put rules and and regular meetings and official anything in place, you're kind of kind of pouring cold water on the fire of the spirit, right? Um, others, we kind of understand the the church to be to be like a gym. You approach it like you approach fitness, where you know I, I belong to a gym. If the classes are helping me get more fit, I go. If they weren't doing that, I'd be like me. Don't need it. Work out on my own just as well. For others. Like, you like the church, fine, but haven't ever really given much thought to what it is the church is, why it's so important, why it's so essential. It's just, you know, you've liked it, so you haven't had to to really bother with those questions. 
So why do we need the institution of the church? Is the institution of the church, once you get into official structures, is it slowing down the Holy Spirit? Is structure itself a shackle on the spontaneous movement of the Holy Spirit? Well, in, uh, in chapter 13 of Acts, we've been in Acts, we reach a pivot point. This is a really key moment in the history of the Christian faith because up to this point, Christianity had been almost all Jews. And this is the pivot point where that flips and the gospel goes to non-Jews and non-Jews become the majority of Christians. And it's when it transforms from being a, you know, Palestinian thing in that area to being global. What is this pivot point? It's the launching of the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas. This is one of the great moves of the Holy Spirit in the history of the Christian faith. So let's, let's see how it begins, because to understand chapter 13, we have to go back to chapter 11. Look with me at 11.19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to, to began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Greeks there means non-Jews. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were Greeks. That the, there were two divisions for Jews. Jews and everybody else. Greeks, whatever, we don't care. You're not Jews, that's the important part. <laughs> Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So, so those of us who, who aren't so fond of institutions, generally speaking, are like, look at this. This wasn't planned. This was, this was an accidental, accidental result of persecution. Stephen gets martyred back in chapter 7. There's a persecution that breaks out against Christians. They go fleeing everywhere, and on their way, they share the gospel. No institution needed, no planning, no nothing. Didn't have to, they just, it just happened because the Spirit was with them, and that's true. Now, let's take a look at what happens next. Verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So, the church back in Jerusalem hears about this spontaneous, unplanned move of the Spirit. And so they send Barnabas to check it out. You know what Barnabas finds when he gets there? A church. Okay? Not only do we see in verse 26 this is called a church, but also think about it. How is Barnabas going to go to investigate? Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. 500,000 inhabitants. That's, that's nearly the size of Denver proper. 
Do we suppose that if this was a bunch of unorganized, unstructured individual Christians that he was knocking on 500,000 doors and checking them out and then reporting back, all's good here, they're straight with the gospel. No, there had to be some sort of visible meaning. meeting. And as I said in verse 26, we are told it is a church. And then look at what Barnabas does next in verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So we add to the spontaneous move of the Spirit that results in a church official teachers. Now, you may be wondering, why does Barnabas go get Saul? Well, um, we were told when Saul comes to believe in Jesus, the Spirit prophesies that, that, this, that Saul is going to be the one to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So Barnabas is, is like, oh, look at all these Gentiles coming to Christ. It's been eight years. I better go get Saul. And he does, right? The thing that we see here is yes, the Holy Spirit moved without an institution, but you know what happens when the Holy Spirit moves? Churches appear, as, in, as is the case with Antioch. You know where else we saw it? We saw it all the way back in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches this, this amazing sermon, and it says all these people come to know Jesus, and what's the next thing it says? It says, and they had fellowship with one another. They were sharing their goods. They were devoting themselves to the, to the teachings of the apostles. They formed a church. This great move of the Holy Spirit in Paul's missionary journey. You know what Paul does on his missionary journeys? He plants churches at the behest of the Holy Spirit. The church is the institution, I'm using that word on purpose, I know it's icky to some of you, I'll explain. The church is the institution for which the Holy Spirit moves. The church is the institution for which the Spirit moves. Now, you might ask, is it accurate to call the early church an institution? There is an understanding among some, including some scholars, who, who think of, like, the church as spontaneous and unstructured in these days. But because we, we really don't really like this word institution, it sounds like the opposite of exciting. It sounds like the opposite of spirit-led. It sounds, it sounds stodgy, right? But you have to remember the backgrounds of these early Christians. Some of them were Jews, and they came up in the synagogue. Right? The synagogue was a highly structured envir environment. It was highly institutional. The others, the Greeks, were pagans. Pagan religions were very, very highly structured. Official priesthood, fancy buildings, the whole nine yards. Now you may say, yeah, but they met in houses. True. They did meet in houses, but the earliest glimpses of the church that we get from this period, you know what they had? They had shared songs we know that there were certain songs that were known throughout the church in different parts of the world because they get quoted. They had confessions of faith. The Apostles' Creed that we sometimes use here dates back to the first century. They had baptismal formulas, things that you were supposed to say in response 
to confess your faith before you got baptized. They administered the sacraments. They practiced baptism in the Lord's Supper. The scriptures, right? Like, think about this. The Bible dates from this period. There was official church doctrine. They had regular meetings. We see from the, the letters of Paul and the book of Acts that they had offices, prophet, teacher, apostle, elder, deacon, and the rest. We saw in Acts chapter 6, they set up a diaconal ministry. This is not an unstructured free-for-all. This is highly structured, yet led by the Spirit. And we see the church is the institution for which the Spirit moves. We, we kind of need to let go of this concept that institution is by definition against like exciting spirit movement. There's a quote from G.K. Chesterton I love. He says, the truth is, is that when people are in exceptionally high spirits, really wild with freedom and invention, they always must, and they always do, create institutions. When men are weary, they fall into anarchy. But while they are gay and vigorous, they invariably make rules. Now, he's being funny there, but th this is true. I thought of this one example. You guys ever heard of the 1956 uh, Hungarian Revolution? All right. Hungary was, was suffering under communist rule, and it was not popular, as you can imagine. You have a little, uh, little, little experience living under communism, you're ready for a change. So people rose up in Hungary. We're talking rise up like jumping off of apartment buildings onto tanks with firebombs, <laughs> like that kind of rise up. And they overthrew the government. And they, it was this rebirth of Hungarian culture. And... Um, they, they were only free for three weeks before the Soviets rolled in. But you know what they did? In those three weeks, they, they came up with a new election system. They got the bishops and priests out of prison and reopened all the churches. They started several Hungarian language newspapers. There were multiple societies for the preservation and sharing of Hungarian culture, right? Like, they were wild with excitement. And so they, they, uh, they started institutions. The same is true. When the Holy Spirit leads the healthiest times in the church, we see that it results in the beginning of churches. The church is the institution for which the Spirit moves. Now we might ask, why? Why does the Spirit work like that? Well, we get a clue in the next couple verses in chapter 11. Look with me at 1127 and following. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul, doesn't seem like that big a deal. Can we get the uh, map here? There's a lot of places being dropped. So Jerusalem's here. Antioch is here. It's about 400 miles, and you see it's a, it's a completely different area. All right? So 400 miles away, a Gentile church hears about a coming famine of a Jewish church. Do I need to remind you guys that at this time, many of these Jewish Christians weren't sure if these folks could actually follow Jesus. And what do they do? 
do you suppose all the people in Antioch were rich? No, they self-sacrificially give to people they've never met and who, some of whom don't particularly want to be worshiping with them. Do you guys think that that would take maybe a move of the Holy Spirit for, for, for a group of people to, to give that generously and self-sacrificially? to someone that far away. Yeah, there, there's more evidence. Let's flip over to, oh, by the way, let's not forget Barnabas doesn't sit there saying, look at this cool church I'm in charge of. What does he do? He goes and gets Saul to share the leadership, right? That work of humility, let me tell you, among ministers is a work of the Holy Spirit, I promise. <laughs> Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Take a look at this. I love this. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Now, this refers to two official offices. This wasn't just like they taught sometimes and prophesied sometimes. These were official office-holding prophets and teachers. Let's take a look at who they are. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Few of us found that amazing, but I promise you it is. Let's take a look at each one. Can we get the map back? So Barnabas is from Cyprus right here. Big Jewish community in, in Cyprus. Okay, so he's part of the, he's a diaspora Jew uh, who has come to Christ. Then there's this guy, Simeon, called Niger. Now Simeon is a Jewish name, but Niger is the Latin word for black. So this dude's nickname is Black. It's not because he was pale, all right? He is probably, it's probably not even on the map, king while Jesus was tried and crucified, that Herod. So this Menaean, it says he was brought up in his household with Herod the Tetrarch. This is a um, decently big under-translation because we just don't have a word for this in English. This means that Menaean was part of Herod's household. It means that they were tutored together. A, a little, little group of noble youth would be tutored by the same person. That's what this relationship was. So like since, since they could talk, he's been best friends and part of the household of, the king, of, of Herod Antipas. So this guy comes from the pro-Roman power elite of Judea, Right? and extreme privilege and wealth and the rest of it. And look who's last, Saul. Remember, Saul, who becomes Paul, was part of the Pharisees. They were nationalist zealots, and they hated the Herodians. So we have, just in this little group of five leaders, people from multiple continents and places, different ethnicities, and people who would have been mortal enemies otherwise. This is an incredible work of reconciliation, and that's just the leadership. The church at Antioch, as I said, it's the third biggest city in the empire. It was incredibly international, right? And so this was the first church you had where the gospel was bridging these divides of ethnicity and class and the rest of it. It is an amazing work of the Holy Spirit. So what, what's so important about the church? Why is the church the, the institution for which the Spirit moves? It's because it's the institution in which the Spirit moves. It's like going to the doctor's office. I want to see my doctor. 
I have to go to her office. That, that, that's where, I, you know, all the doctor things happen. <laughs> you know, I, if I see my doctor on the hiking trail, I'm going to be like, hey, doc, I'm not going to ask her any questions, though. Uh, has, that, that happens in the office. There's a context for that. The church is where the Spirit operates. It's where we see fellowship built. It's where we see community built. It's where we see reconciliation between people. It's where we see changed lives. It's where the Word of God is preached. It's where disciples are intentionally made. The church is the institution not only for which the Spirit moves, but in which the Spirit moves. But there's also something bigger going on than, than, than any individual church. That, that the, there's a, a, a grand strategy going on using the church. Back in chapter 11, we were told three times how the church at Antioch was used as an instrument of evangelism. Okay? In verses 27 and 30, we saw how the church was an instrument of mercy. How did the Holy Spirit provide for the poor in Judea? Through the church at Antioch. Okay? This is adding up to something. Just go with me. And then we're going to see that the church is an instrument of global mission. Look with me at 13, 2, and 3. It's this, this church at Antioch with these officers while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. To, to what do they send them off? The rest of the book of Acts, the missionary journeys of Paul, the spread of the gospel throughout the known world. Do you see how the institutional structure of the church is used by the Holy Spirit here? What, what were they doing? They were worshiping and fasting. Who? Just these five guys? No, it was the gathered church worshiping. And do you suppose they fasted just for any old reason? Hey, it's Tuesday, let's fast. No, you fast while you're contemplating something as a church. So there was some sort of plan under contemplation, and the Holy Spirit speaks. How? A voice from heaven, we're not told that. The most most uh, scholars think that this would have been one of the mentioned prophets here, that the Holy Spirit spoke through a prophet. That's an officer, folks. That's part of the structure of the church. So regular meeting, community fasting and praying, officer speaks for the Holy Spirit, says, set aside two other officers for me for the work that I have for them. And then look at this. They don't, they don't go right at it. What do they do? It, said, um, it says, so after, in verse 3, so after they had fasted and prayed. So this prophet speaks. They're not like, well, that's it. They fast and pray as a community more. They contemplate it, right? They discuss it. And then look, the church commissions them. The church places hands on Barnabas and Saul and sends them out. And we also see later that the church at Antioch acts as a home base for them. Look at how the Holy Spirit uses the, the institutional structure of the church to accomplish his mission. So the church is the institution for which the Spirit moves, in which the Spirit moves, and by which the Spirit moves. Okay, it's kind of like um, uh, yesterday I was, I was mowing the lawn and my face melted off 
because I was, I was listening to Van Halen 1. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Eddie Van Halen, for whom the band, Van, not his brother, the drummer, no, no, the band's not named after Alex Van Halen, it is named after Eddie Van Halen, because the man revolutionized guitar playing. He was, by anyone's measure, a great musician. All right? He took the smeedly and meedly, smeedly, meedly, smeedly, meedly, smeedly, to untold new stratospheres. All right? He transformed everything. I could talk about Eddie Van Halen for a while. May he rest in peace. Um, but Eddie Van Halen, just standing there, yeah, he's a great musician. But you're never going to see him do his thing. He's not going to do his music thing unless you do what? Unless you hand him a striped guitar, which is what he always played. Once you hand him the striped guitar and it's in working order and the amp and everything, your face will melt off because that's the only choice when listening to Eddie Van Halen shred. All right? The, the church is the instrument of the Holy Spirit. All right? Eddie Van Halen's a great musician, just standing there all by himself, but with the instrument in his hand... Right, he's truly Eddie Van Halen doing what Eddie Van Halen does. And this is what we see, not only through the book of Acts, but also throughout Christian history. When we see genuine moves of the Holy Spirit, either in, in the expansion of the gospel or social advocacy or other movements, it either springs up inside the church or it results in the beginning of new churches. When we ask the question, how is the plan of redemption going to go forward? The answer has always been through the people of God, through the church. How is the knowledge of God going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea? It's by means of the church. It's the instrument, institution, by which the Spirit moves. So the church is the institution for which, in which, and by which the Holy Spirit moves. And you know, I, there's a couple of whatabouts here, and I, 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 hear the, I hear the questions. Say, but what about these unstructured movements in the two-thirds world? Right? The gospel is simply exploding in South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, Philippines, a, a lot of places like that, and, and it's not very structured. Right? It's like, hey, we meet under the tree. It's, you know, so... Even, if, even in those places that we think of as non-institutional, when you look at them, they're still preaching the word, they're still administering sacrament, there's leadership, there's regular meetings, and there's intentional discipleship. That, my friends, is an institution. It's not an elaborate institution, you know, it's not smells, bells, and, and unnecessary officiousness, but it is definitely an institution that the Holy Spirit is using. And then, a lot of us are like, but what about how many times just we see the church do the opposite of the work of the Holy Spirit? What about these church institutions that are, that are toxic, that are harmful, that are run by people who are self-interested, that shouldn't be within leadership in, in anything within, with a 10-foot pole? Now, I want to acknowledge that there are problems. There really are. Uh, it, it, I, I've heard so many horror stories. I've, I've experienced one or two of my own of when the institution of the church really does stand in the way or even counteract what the Holy Spirit is doing. I've seen leaders that shouldn't be in leadership. 
I've seen bad policy and, and, and you know, where, where abuse happens and the institution, instead of, instead of supporting the victims, covers it up as is happening right now in the Southern Baptist Convention. This, they're, they're, this is all coming out and it is disheartening. I, I am with you guys that, um, that there are issues that definitely need to be addressed. And I fully understand when people say, well, if this is what you get from the church institution, maybe a minimal institution is the best thing or none at all. I, I hear you. But here's the thing. Remember that um, condo complex in Miami that collapsed? Uh, tons of people suffered, right? Now, when we see that, do we say, you know what we need is no more condos? Condos are bad. Condos are the problem. No. Bad condos are the problem. Poorly built, unregulated condos are the problem. Substandard condos are the problem. It's th that's not a reason not to build condos. It's, it's a reason to build ever more carefully. In the same way, when you see the train wreck church institutions, when you see the toxic uh, uh, um, leadership and, and the, the horror stories, that's not a reason to say, well, let's have less structure. That's a reason to say, let's build ever more carefully, ever more conscientiously, right? So if, if the church is the institution for which in which and by which the Spirit moves, what is to be our response? After all, we are the caretakers of a church institution together. Our response is to move with the Spirit, to move with the Spirit. One of the scariest parts uh, for a man to get married is the first dance. This is true. All you guys who are not yet married, this is a bigger, no one tells you about this. And I'm, I'm actually a fan of dancing. I've been complimented on my dancing partly because expectations for straight white men are very low on the dance floor. And I can at least live up to, to the sandbagged expectations. But first dance at Sharon and my wedding was a different story. Okay, first of all, you're overwhelmed with all the emotions of having just committed your life to someone else and them, and so your head is spinning with the weight of that. And then everyone's looking at you and no one else is dancing. They're like, please walk to the dance floor. And you're like, oh, yeah. You know? and, and then Sharon had on this huge contraption of a dress that I was really nervous about standing on. And, um, and, then, and then we had a live band instead of a DJ. And our, our, first, uh, our first dance together was Let's Stay Together by Al Green. It's a great song, an old favorite. Uh, but it comes in, uh, 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 it's there, right? Uh, 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 I could do the whole song. I'm in love with you. Anyway, um, but here's where the band came in. Uh, 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 is this a polka? Come on, this is too fast. You lose the pocket. Al Green needs a pocket. You can't dance the fast Al Green on your wife's dress with everyone watching. This was a really, this was, it was going bad. Sharon's a much better dancer than me. So she could see I was flailing out there. And so she kind of took over, right? And I'm like, okay, 
okay, all I have to do is go where Sharon goes. I move with Sharon all is well, this is all it takes. Watch the dress, watch the dress. You know, but I just had to move with her. That was my job. If the Spirit moves for the church, how do we move with the Spirit? It's to take very seriously the building up of this particular congregation. That's the ball in our court, right? It's doing the mundane work, making coffee, <laughs> picking up boxes, teaching kids. It's inviting others in. It's when we come to nominating our officers, which is the job of the members of the church, it's to be prayerful and careful and conscientious. It matters. It matters greatly. We move with the Spirit as the Spirit moves for the church. When our, when the people in charge of our kids program are really careful about implementing child safety policy, it is not exciting but it is moving with the Spirit. When we give our tithe, whether it's small or large, it is part of moving with the Holy Spirit as the Spirit moves for the church. And for those of us who have been hurt, I, I get that a lot of this is nails on a chalkboard. I'm sorry. But I just encourage you, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know? Like, like, like I said, the response to a badly built building isn't no building, it's a well-built building. So if the Spirit moves in the church, if this is the place where, where the doctor operates, so to speak, how do we move with the Spirit? Well, first of all, it's to make it easy to come in. You know, if, if someone walks through the door and no one ever says hello, makes them feel welcome, lets them know where the toilet is, <laughs> that's a, it's a pretty, like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be here experience. If you have to, like, be a super sleuth code cracker CIA agent to figure out how to get in community group, like, that's not being welcomed in. If it's difficult to get into the community, that's not moving with the Spirit. Also, it's that we, we make the tools of the Spirit, right? Like, just the doctor needs whatever. You doctors know what you need to be a doctor. Like, a, I don't know, that thing that you listen to the heart with, stethoscope. You need a stethoscope. You need, I don't know, a hammer or something. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but, you know, you need those things in the doctor's office for the doctor to do her job. So we need to make discipleship intentional here. We need to make sure that the Word of God, that prayer, that worship, that the regular things the Holy Spirit uses to work in us, to break the bondage of sin, to make people more like Jesus, is on reg in regular use and availability here. And if the Spirit moves by the church, how do we move with the Spirit? Well, I mean, this, partly we want to make sure that we're not just looking inside our own walls. Right? That we are looking for opportunities for where the Spirit would lead us. And also, I don't think I say this enough, but you know, we, we kind of have an idea that once we cross 200 uh, regular attenders, which we're at 100 right now, we want to start looking at planting. Right? We want to be part of what the Spirit is doing uh, to, to, because right, the, the church is the institution for which, in which, by which the Spirit moves. We see great value in, in, in the initiating of a new congregation. The institution of the church should not shackle the movement of the Spirit. It's not what it's supposed to look like, but move with the Spirit. Please pray with me. God, I pray that you would use this congregation for your purposes. 
that we and other churches around here would be paying attention not just to what's in our best interest, but to where you're leading. We pray, God, that as you move for the church, in the church, by the church, that we would move with you. In Jesus' name.